Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll finish off the chapter as we continue to be encouraged on this journey with Elisha the prophet as he ministers unto the Lord. He's used in wonderful ways. As we study him uh, in his life, it inspires us. Uh, It inspires us to be used by him, by God, and to step out in faith. And as we learned last time, there's no one mold of the person that God uses. And aren't you grateful for that? There's not just one type of person with one type of gifting, with one type of of attitude and personality, but that God uses men and women of all shapes and sizes, all different backgrounds, all different perspectives. We're so different. I mean, just a, a quick survey of the room. There's so many differences in the room tonight, personality-wise and people-wise, but yet in Christ, we're unified by His purpose. And we're able then to set aside our differences and allow the Holy Spirit to use us in our differences. We're one body, the Bible says, but many members. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 23, it says, those members of the body that we think less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they have greater modesty. But our presentable parts, they have no need. But God has composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no division, but rather that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And we move forward now to the end of the chapter as we move on from the resurrection of a dear friend's son. Elisha comes back to the city of Gilgal in verse 38 and says, Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him and he said to his servant, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. And it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Hard times have come to the city of Gilgal. And there was a famine in the land. Now remember, a famine in the land doesn't just mean the absence of food. For a famine in today's mindset would be the equivalent in your life of losing your job and everything that goes with it. Like they have lost everything. They've lost the ability to to farm, to produce food. It it is a crisis time. So whenever you think of famine, whenever you read famine in the scriptures, it's a serious crisis. And in this crisis, some food is gathered. 
They go out to get some vines, some herbs, and these wild gourds. And Elisha tells his servant to get a large pot, boil some stew for the prophets. And as they're gathering things, they end up cutting these gourds into the stew, and they're poisonous. And as they're eating them, they cry out, there is death in the pot. And they stopped eating it. And Elisha said, bring some flour and add it. And as they did, it was miraculously removed the poison. Another miracle, you just kind of read through it and go, wow, okay. Um, but, but Elisha's being used supernaturally here. Like this is God supernaturally using this man so that they, the prophets can be nourished. But remember, there is also a, a backdrop of God's dealings with the nation of Israel. And once again, God is showing the judgment that he's bringing upon the nation by withholding fruitfulness from the land. And with that comes severe hunger, desperation, and difficulties. The people were not only hungry for bread, but also for what would really satisfy their spiritual hunger. The condition of the nation at this time is a rebellion against God. Uh, Their condition of the nation at this time is a famine for the word of God. They are involved in idolatry, where they're turning to have their deepest needs met by emptiness. And with idolatry, you combine the pictures together, and I thought it's a beautiful picture, with idolatry, there's always death in the pot. (laughs) Whenever you abandon God and his word, there's always death in the pot. The wages of sin is death. Your life, a pot. And the wages of sin in your life is always death in the pot. It's always that way. With rebellion, there always comes death. With resistance and disobedience and compromise, there will always be death in the pot. It's just the opposite of God's heart for the nation. It's it's not what God is offering to them. God is offering to them meal, flour, a, a meat of the word. He's offering to them life-sustaining bread. It's the opposite of the heart of Jesus for us today. And and I just wanted to bring that backdrop into our own lives because some of you that I'm speaking to are involved in some some sort of idolatry. And, And what I mean by idolatry is that you aren't gaining the full satisfaction of your life from Jesus alone. And with that, you're also not gaining direction or wisdom from God's word. And so turn over to John chapter 10 as we're reminded of the heart of Jesus for us. Because if your life, you know, if your life is, symbolizes the pot and all the pieces of your life inside the pot is like the stew, there are those times when things are cut into the pot that bring death. There are all those times when innocently even in some cases where you're out looking for things and you're gathering away and you don't find out there's death in the pot until you taste it. And still at other times there's death in the pot because you put it in there. And you're stirring it up. And even as you see this picture, other people are eating from the pot of your life. And it's not God's heart for you to have death in your life. He's come to give life and that more abundantly. Notice with me in John chapter 10. Verse 7, as Jesus gives this great declaration. We're going to stay in John for a minute. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, notice, and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. You're going to eat well. You're going to eat well. You're, you're going to have health and vitality from the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm that door. You know, a sheepfold was a round enclosure made up of rock walls about six feet high, and different things were made out of it, but, but literally it would leave an opening that the shepherd would lay in front of, and the shepherd would become the door. And none of the sheep would go in and out except through the shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm that door. With that picture, he says, you're not getting in and out except through me. And as the door, Jesus provides protection. As the door, Jesus provides that ability to watch out for you, to guard you, to defend you, so that you might sleep well under his care. All who came before him, Jesus says, were thieves and robbers. And isn't that the case? The Bible describes our arch enemy, the devil, as a, as a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. The Bible describes our arch enemy, the devil, as someone who's just come, Jesus said, to kill, steal, and destroy. And anyone that would follow him would be doing the same exact thing. They're thieves and robbers. And there were then, there were those that were then, and there are many today that would want to take you away and draw them, draw you and me after themselves away from the good shepherd. Those that would even come around our church family, find out that you have a newfound faith in Christ and want to talk you out of it, want to make fun of you want to somehow undermine the Bible or come up with all kinds of fanciful things to try to undermine this newfound relationship you have with the Lord. Try to throw these poisonous gourds into your life, into what God is doing in your life. They still come around today. But Jesus promises that pasture, that pasture. Turn over to John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6. Pick up with me in verse 28, would you? John chapter 6, verse 28. They came to him and said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? It's a good question. They're basically asking, what do we need to do to please God? And they frame it in the, the way, only way that they can relate, through works. What do we need to do in order to please God? What works do we need to do? Jesus answered, verse 29, this is the work Okay, what is it? That you believe in whom he sent. It's faith. Faith pleases God. Without faith, there's no pleasing God. Therefore, they said, what sign will you perform, verse 30, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. But all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Jesus says, I'm the door, but I'm also the bread. I'm the bread of life. I mean, into any poisonous situation, any pot of stew with death in it, when you add the bread of life, there's healing. 
I am the bread. I'm the true bread of life. I'm as, as miraculous and glorious was the manna in the wilderness. I mean, they had food every day. Whatever was in the manna, whatever constituted the manna, had all the nutrients to sustain a human being for a day, for a, a, each meal. And, and as valuable as that was for 40 years, six days a week, because remember they would always gather double on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath. And so all, six days they were able to gather constantly, constantly, constantly. And, and, and God fulfilled them and took care of them. And Jesus says, you know, the manna is not the best thing God has. The best thing God has is the bread that he sent down, me. I'm the true bread. I, I am the bread of life. I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding in our lives about Christianity and what it means to relate to God. It's usually defined in what you can't do. Usually you'll find definitions of Christianity of don't do this and you don't do that and you can't do this. And I have to say in a relationship with God, there are new limitations placed upon our lives, but limitations with a purpose. For, for example, there, there are limitations that are placed upon us when we drive. Uh, there, there are what side of the road we should drive on, what, how fast we should drive, whether we should go or stop or slow down. I mean, there are limitations, but those limitations are for the benefit of all. If you follow the limitations, they're never really an issue in your life. Everybody's safe, everybody's taken care of, everybody can enjoy the road. And, and it's the same way with God. The limitations he places in our lives are for the betterment of all, including ourselves. There's just some things you want to stay away from, some things that are just aren't healthy. And yet, our relationship with God is not defined by limitations. Our relationship with God is defined by his finished work on the cross and the new life that he's given to us. He gave, you see, Jesus came to give us life on a higher plane. It doesn't stop with poison and death in the pot. It doesn't stop there. There are those times in our lives where things can get so bad and so difficult that we just declare there's death in the pot, that's it. And we give up hope. Some of you might be here right now, listening in on the radio, just looking at the condition of your life and just thinking there's death in the pot. And just, that's it, I give up. I turn away. But like Elisha of old, the Holy Spirit says to us today, put some flour in it. Add the bread of life into your life. Remember the Lord high and exalted. Remember as we're beginning to study in the book of Hebrews, it's so exciting, but, but one of the things that's so greatly emphasized in the first chapter is that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's at a place of, of, of completion, a place of honor. A place, it is complete and it is finished. All that is left for us is to enjoy it by faith. Death in the pot is not the end for the believer. Just throw some flour in it. Why? Because Jesus says he is the bread of life. He's come to give you the full nourishment. He, he's not only the bread, he's not only the door, but he's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And all of that is ours by faith. Where we just believe what God has said and enjoy what God has done. Today we live in a time where, where the good shepherd is being neglected. We're living in a time where the neglect of God as he sent his son Jesus Christ as the door to enter in, the bread to bring fullness of life, 
the shepherd to care for our every need is being neglected. And what has been the result? But there's a famine in the, word of God, in, in the land today of the word of God. I mean, all of the answers and all of the encouragement is available to us in his word, but there's this neglect. And so what happens? There's death in the pot. There's death in the marriage. There's death in the house. There's death in the church. So much so that, and and don't think it's just a, a 21st century thing. Because Jesus would even declare to a church in the book of Revelation, you have a name that you're alive but you're dead inside. To a church, you have a name that you're alive, but there's death in the church, there's death in the home, there's death in the marriage. The wages of sin is always death. Another time in Israel's history in Amos, jot it down in Amos chapter eight, verse 11. God declares, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of God. Let it not be so with us. <clears throat> like Elijah, or excuse me, Elisha, coming back to 2 Kings 4. It's just a simple miracle. I mean, you just think, well, you know, they threw a little flour and it, it took care of the poison. No, this was a miracle. A miraculous healing. The solution to the poison and the solution to the death was this meal, this flour, this bread, this word that comes in. And he says, serve it to the people with great confidence. And I love that in verse 41. There was nothing harmful in the pot. Wasn't there just something harmful in the pot previously? But when the flour, the meal was poured in, there was nothing harmful in the pot. Some of you can claim that by faith tonight in your life. That's the work of God. He wants to bring out the poison and declare there's nothing harmful in the pot. Nothing harmful. Move on, verse 42. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, what? Shall I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. This sound familiar? (laughs) So great. God is so faithful. He's faithful all the way through. You know, there are those today that advocate this silliness that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Have you heard that? Well, the God of the Old Testament. And they begin to pull out some, some things in the Old Testament of, yeah, you know, there were some gnarly things going on with the nation of Israel when they were involved in war. Yeah. I mean, war is ugly. War is difficult. War is hard. And primarily, most of the war that is depicted in the Old Testament is through the nation of Israel. By the time we come to the New Testament, most of the war that's depicted in the New Testament is through Jesus Christ and the victory that he battled over sin and death. But it's just simply nonsense that, that there is a God of the Old Testament and then a God of the New Testament. God is God. And he's the same faithful God from beginning to end. As we find in the New Testament, Jesus feeding thousands and then the disciples. Now, the Bible declares that after they ate of the loaves and the fish, that they, the, the word that they use is they were glutted. They were filled 
to capacity. It was an all-you-can-eat. They didn't know they were coming to an all-you-can-eat bread and fish meal. But they ate as much as they could fill. And all of the disciples walked away with a basket full of leftovers. The gracious provision of God. Well, we have that in the Old Testament where there is a feeding and the man comes and he brings the man of God bread as an offering, the first fruits. 20 loaves, verse 42. Newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. And his servant said, what? Shall I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And so he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. Mark the last two phrases in the paragraphs that we just read. I'll get to it at the end, but mark it for now. At the end of verse 41, there was nothing harmful in the pot. You could put a little star to next to it or something. And then at the end in verse 44, according to the word of God. Keep that in mind. Elisha meets this man, brings the first fruits offering to the Lord. There's no temple in that day. So they would bring to the nearest group of prophets an offering unto the Lord. Uh, they would be shared by these God-fearing men. But in this case, there's a hundred hungry men, and this meager offering wasn't able in the physical realm to feed them all. It just wasn't enough. I mean, anybody that would look at it would come to the same conclusion. This isn't enough. This is a hungry, hundred hungry men. There's not enough of your little barley loaves, your little small loaves. There's not enough. I think if we would see the same offering, we would have come to the same conclusion physically with our physical eyes. We wouldn't be able to, to conclude that it would be enough. It reminds me of what Andrew said when he surveyed the thousands and, and he looked out on what, the, what, what the, the immensity of the challenge was before them. At the immensity of all these hungry people, he said in John chapter 6, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? What are they among so What is the bread here in 2 Kings? What is that among so many, even among a hundred? But Elisha knew the Lord could do the miraculous. He expected it. I don't know about you, but... I definitely want to share with you about me that this is a convicting thing when I think of Elisha here, so confident in the Lord. I happen to be wired in the same way Andrew is here in the text in John chapter 6. I'm wired very similarly. I take an assessment, look what we have, compare the two, and usually come to the same conclusion. This isn't enough. I mean, maybe if we cut it just right... And we had six loaves tonight. Or we had 20 loaves. And we just spread it around the folks that are here, a few hundred people here. Maybe if we cut it just right and we can... And, and, and immediately, immediately, if I'm not careful, my mind will immediately go to the natural. To the natural. Oh, we need to bake some more. Oh, we need to go to the store. Oh, we need to. It's always the natural. That's not where Elisha is at this place. He, he goes to the spiritual. His reverting, he, he reverts to faith. And, and just like last time, 
in my life, I tend to be the opposite of Elisha here, where before we learned that Elisha was surprised when God didn't reveal something to him. I tend to get surprised when God does reveal something to me. And he does all the time. And yet, there are those times where, man, I mean, it's just like, Elisha was like, wait a minute, God didn't show me anything. Because he expected it. And really, there's confidence here that when there are a hundred hungry people, that God is going to provide. We just need to be reminded of the provision of God and to have the confidence that God is going to provide for whatever impossibilities before you. Even if you try to figure it out. Even if you do, you know, maybe I share my story and everyone, in, everyone listening going, man, Ed, you are messed up because I'm not like that. But just in case there's someone like me, God is faithful to build up in you the kind of faith that you need to trust him. I know you can't figure it out, and I know the calculator is not working. You know, every, you're doing it three, four times, and it's still coming up the same number. God is faithful. And he can do the miraculous. God is not just limited by our mathematical abilities. He's not just limited by what we offer him and say, oh, that's all. We only have, we only have these 20 loaves. Well, yeah, that's all we have, but what are 20 loaves in the hand of God? I don't think the numbers matter anymore. And the answer to the doubts and fears that we have, the anxieties that are always knocking in our door, waking up in the middle of the night wondering what's going to happen, is faith. It's the faith that God gives to us. The Bible says that he's given to us all a measure of faith. That, that our faith is increased how? By the word of God. By the meal. These two things go together. Death in the pot, man, add the meal. Get back into the word. There's anxiety of provision and what is God going to do? Because God, you know, this situation is going to require the miraculous. And don't you need a Elisha around to go, I know. He does it all the time. Someone to come along and build your faith. Someone to come along and remind you of his faithfulness. You know, like Elisha, we know that God is faithful and good. Anybody amen to that? Is anyone, is that not something? We know, we know. We know both by knowledge and experience. We know not just by the hearing of the ear, but we also know by, by, by God doing it in our lives. That's one of the reasons why we share our testimony, isn't it? Because our testimonies are simply illustrations of the faithfulness of God. We had a testimony night too long, not too long ago, and, and as, as those folks were coming up to share their testimony, and even we ran out of time, so many wanted to share, that, that they're, they're sharing the testimony of God's faithfulness in their life. And, and, and the reason why we like to do that is because sometimes you just need to hear it from someone you're sitting next to. You just need to hear, this is real. I, I know we're studying Elisha, but Elisha was real. We're going to meet him one day in heaven. And there are many more men and women that God is using today, men and women of faith, that, that he is using as a point of his miraculous work on the earth today. I mean, God is working so much, we just need to open our eyes and appreciate it. To open our eyes and enjoy it and, and rejoice in what he's doing. And I know it's scary. What are we going to do? What, you know, verse 43, <clears throat> what shall I set this before a hundred men? Andrew says, 
What are these among so many? That's the facts. But God is able to trump the facts. He's able to work beyond that. We must choose. In times like these, we must choose to believe based upon the facts of God's faithfulness. It's a choice we make. Because Elisha here believes and acted, telling his servant, set the bread out. And what was the result? Plenty for everyone. But he didn't just say set the bread out. He said in verse 43, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Two more things. Philippians chapter 4. This is the second time that we learn through Elisha's life and ministry that we're to bring what we have to the Lord. Do you remember the first time we learned that with Elisha? It was the, the oil. Go get the containers and bring me what you got. What do you got? I got some oil. We'll bring it here. And go get some containers. <clears throat> and we learned, didn't we, that the oil lasted as long as they had containers. And when the last container was filled, the oil was done. Just bring what you have. It's not much, but it's what I got. Yes, bring what you have. I have a little bit of oil. Bring what you have. Consecrate it to the Lord. This is the second time. And Paul knew this in his own life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. And if you were to come today and the topic of our testimony night was God's provision, you'd be able to share a story or two as well of how God came through and was faithful to provide even when all hope was lost. Notice what he says in verse 17. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord, well-pleasing to God. And what does he say in verse 19? He encourages us. And he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's been handed down to us. I have a little note here in my Bible um, to remind me. That's been handed down in a principle in ministry for us, both church and personally, is where God guides, God provides. We don't always know how he's going to provide, so you can't kind of predict that. But where God guides, he provides. God has promised to supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How many of your needs? all of your needs. And so the difficulty at times in our lives is that we confuse our needs and our wants and those things get muddied up at times because we're just human. We're just human. But God is faithful. Come back now to 2 Kings as we close. I mean, it's such a neat little section. But remember at the end of verse 41? And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Why? Because the flour was put in. Flour speaking to us of bread. Bread speaking to us of the bread of life. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The pot, our life. 
the stew, all the circumstances, slicing up a few of the gourds that are poisonous, starting to eat and enjoy life. Oh man, there's death in the pot. There's death in the pot. He doesn't say to dump it all out. He's just add a little meal, add a little flour. And then at the end of verse 44, according to the word of God, all of this happened according to the word of God, this miracle of the miraculous uh, multiplication of the food for these hundred guys, so much more that they had leftovers, the true shepherd providing all that we need. And I tie them together because, you know, there's nothing in the pot because of the word of God. I tie them together because I'm reminded that as soon as I begin, in the, the very second that I turn my attention toward God, the very moment I begin to open up the word is the very moment that God begins to work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it doesn't matter where you're reading in the Bible. It doesn't matter if you're reading in Leviticus or the Gospel of John. God is going to build your faith by revealing himself as faithful. And he is so He is so confident, you could say, God is so confident in who he is that he put it down in writing for you. He says, you test me on this. You know, one one of the times where the Bible speaks of testing is in the realm of giving, in the realm of relational giving, you know, being generous. You test me on this. And and in that work, there there is freedom in life that comes by throwing that flour, putting the meal back in. It's as simple as that. You've been away from the Lord lately. There's been death in the pot of your life. You found yourself distant from God or discouraged, in a place of hopelessness or just, just wondering, what is God doing? The way to, the, the way to find life is to come back to the Word to come back to the word, no matter how long you've been gone. Just come back to the word because the word is going to bring you back toward God. You're going to open up yourself to, even even those of you that are here tonight, maybe some of you didn't even plan to be here tonight, but because you're here, God began to work to build you up in your faith. You turn, the Bible says, you draw near to God, what? He'll draw near to you. And in many ways, it's, it's representative of gathering together of the saints, It's representative of not forsaking the gathering together of saints. And if there's a Saturday meeting, I want to be there. And if there's a Wednesday meeting, I want to be there. I'll even be there on Sunday and I'll serve second. I want to be among the saints. And even there are times, isn't there, I need to be among the saints. (laughs) It's not just I want it, but I need it. I I want to be encouraged. I want to hear a word. I, I want to draw near. And so... There was nothing harmful in the pot because they obeyed Elisha, threw the meal in, and God miraculously removed the poison that quickly. And they set it before them. They ate and had some left over. Why? According to the word of God. That was the promise of the word of God. What did Elisha say? Give them the food. God said they're going to have leftovers. Then what's the very next verse? They ate and there were leftovers. Why? According to the word of God. 
so that when you're reading the scriptures, you're not just adding the flour, you're not just adding the bread, you're not just trying to, to take the word and say, okay, God, I'm gonna open the Bible, and, and because I'm opening the Bible, you're gonna deal with, and you're just gonna change. No, 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 it's not, it's not just simply opening the Bible and, and coming and expecting this, but it's also stepping in and taking the promises of God, especially the ones that speak to you, and holding fast to them. Why, because God's word's gonna to come to pass, and at the end of the day, what's it gonna say? according to the word of God. It won't be according to your word, and it won't be according to the opinion of man, and it won't be according to some Facebook post. Oh, and all this miraculous thing happened according to the Facebook. No, but according to the word of God, it's happened then, it's happening now, and it's gonna happen until the coming of Jesus Christ. And so this is an exhortation for all of us, a reminder, the path from death to life the path from being hungry to full is the word of God. There's so much there. And, and who, who is the word of God? Not just what is the word of God, but who is the word of God? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is God. It's so good. So Lord, we draw near to you tonight. I'm thankful, God, that there was not one cough through this whole time. Grateful that you were just so faithful for 40 minutes so that we might have your word tonight. And even though we were ready to worship, and Pastor Ian was ready to just have a night of worship, it would have glorified you, it would have honored you, it it would have been glorious. But your heart and will was for your word to go forth, for us to be reminded of the faith of Elisha, You wanted us to know that when there's poison in the pot, the antidote is the word. It's the bread of life. You bring life from death. Only you can do that, God. And when there is meager supplies, when somebody even brings their best, but it's not enough, according to your word, you will supply all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We just need to bring what we have. Bring what we have. Bring what little faith we have. Bring what little strength we have. And be reminded of a life of surrender, a life of commitment, a life of submission. And even as I examine my own life tonight, God, thinking how I am so unlike Elisha so many times, where I like to count and, and I like to slice and dice and figure things out, Lord, I... Over the years, I know I'm learning sometimes a hard way that I just commit it to you and you'll take care of it. I don't even need to count it up, Lord. You just take care of it. And would you pour out your spirit on us afresh tonight? Would you just encourage us? God, would you throw the flower of your word into our lives tonight? Would you give a rhema word in our Bible study that God, just somebody came here tonight and you had the word for them? They came and heard what you had for them. And they could just hold on to that and thank you for it on the way home. That they could chew on it tonight before they go to bed. That they would wake up in the morning to a faithful God who's ready to supply, who hasn't abandoned the one or the two that has poison in the pot, but he's ready to do a fresh work that will satisfy many. Thankful, I'm reminded, God, you're the door, you're the good shepherd. 
You're the bread of life. May you have free course in our lives, Lord, and just, just to increase our faith. That's what we ask. Just like the disciples, increase our faith, Lord. And help us to believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. <coughs> help us to trust you in the light and in the dark in the good and in the bad, <coughs> in all that you have for us, that you would just have your way with us, Lord. That we would be a people, not church, not religious, but we would just be a people in love with you, Jesus, enjoying you. That, that we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be so caught up in trying to tell the world where they're wrong, but rather just Help the world with solutions to the sin sickness in their hearts. That you would do the work of salvation through us, Lord. That God, you would just enliven us and give us fresh new vision for how you want to use us in these last days. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.